Hey guys, welcome back to Merlisten, a bi-weekly podcast uh, based on BBC's Merlin, where we discuss the show, the characters, the ships, and the fandom. I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm Momotastic. And uh, this week we are focusing on Momo's favourite character of the series. We've got another character episode for you, and it's Arthur. You excited? Yes! So much! (laughs) It's going to be a very happy episode for Momo. (laughs) But first, let's have some news. Merlin Olympics is holding a poll to see if people are interested in running the fest again next year for the Winter Olympics. Check them out on LJ and participate in the poll if you want or don't want to take part in this fest. The Merlin Kink meme has been revived. The new mods are currently looking for people to help out with modding and maintenance work around the com. If you want to see the kink meme live and would like to do your part to make it happen, check it out on LJ. There's a challenge called Work in Progress Week that's going to run again in January 2018. Check out their Tumblr for more information. This is not a Merlin exclusive challenge, by the way, so you can submit all kinds of whips. Here's your reminder that Merlin Holiday started posting on the 11th of December. Go and check out what's been posted already. Also, Winter Nights has been posting since early December and many works have been submitted so far. So go and have a look at those as well. Last but not least, Coinalot has revamped the ticket sales process because PayPal was taking too much of their money. Well, your money, actually. All information on how to buy tickets now can be found on their Tumblr. So we do actually have some talkbacks, or I say talkbacks, some comments, feedback uh, from earlier episodes. The first time we've had these, so let's do that. Really excited. Yes, um, we had one from Nicole from Latin America, who left us a lovely long comment on our website. And you can all go and read it in full on our website. It was made on the episode about the... Cornelot convention last year and they talked about a lot of things and I just had like two little things I wanted to uh, pick up on but Rox do you maybe also have something you want to say in response to Nicole? Well we were discussing weren't we the the implication of kind of hearing the show in a different language or a dubbing weren't we because I know for a fact that I mean not with Merlin I've never experienced this but dubbing in general is something I'm quite interested in because I'm from Poland so a lot of things that I've seen in my life have been dubbed in Polish and I've usually preferred the Polish dubbing however I know that a lot of countries have really really crappy dubbing for for some reason or whatever um and I know that one of my Merlin fandom friends from France um, has told me that when she the reason why she kind of learned English was because she watched Supernatural in English because she couldn't bear the French dubbing of it she just couldn't do it so um, she just watched it in English which I think is really interesting and if anyone else has kind of seen Merlin in the various languages that it might have been dubbed in I'd be really interested to kind of hear about that that would be really cool actually. Yeah, I mean, Nicole said that uh, she watched it in Spanish the first time and that it was uh, interesting for her coming into the fandom now and just see everything in English because it took a little while to adjust from 
how she knew everything in Spanish to how the fandom is mostly in English, and of course all the quotes from the show will be in English. So, uh, one thing I picked up is uh, their impression of uh, fandom and how it is like similar to ours. Like there are small pockets of super active fans, like on Tumblr, for example, but the majority has become inactive. Like uh, Nicole mentioned that uh, she got back into it because of a post she saw on Instagram and how then she tried to find other accounts on Instagram that would do things about Merlin, but there really weren't any that were active. And so she went to Tumblr and there she found an active community, which is in sync with what you and I have been saying that a lot of fandom is now on Tumblr because that's that's just a social media platform where fandom is at at the moment. And well, Nick- well, I feel like it's a really good. I mean, if you think about it, it's quite time effective as well. Because whereas with Live Journal back in the day, you know, you had like all your separate blogs for all your separate interests, but on Tumblr, because everything again is in one place and nobody has time anymore you know so it's like if you're in multiple fandoms you can run multiple blogs at the same time like we do with merlison and you know you can search one tag one minute another tag another minute and i'm guilty of this you know i'll feel like one thing one hour and then i think oh i really want to see something heartbreaking about this other ship like in another like and you know you can search for it so easy lj not so much you really have to know where to look so it's definitely convenient. It's really convenient. Yeah, yeah. And another thing Nicole observed was that the small community that we do have at least is super friendly and welcoming to new people entering. And uh, I think that's true. And I think that's because the community is so small and our show is over. So we flock together. <laughs> We create this open, welcoming uh, space to make sure that anyone who has a new or renewed interest in the show and wants to join the fandom, you know, will feel welcome and produce more content for everyone to enjoy so that the fandom can stay alive. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. All right. Moving on to the second comment. Yeah, from um, Woodland Goddess, who this is actually quite a recent one, but it's still about the... uh, So this is concerning the very first episode we did with our experiences with fandom. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, And she left a lot of really, really good feedback. Uh, Again, she brings it back to the thing that we spoke a lot about in episode one, which is uh, our experiences with LJ versus other fandom platforms and how she found her uh, that she tried to integrate into lj but found it very difficult and you mentioned momo in here that 2013 lj was kind of on its way into the grave so yeah yeah it was and like you said this earlier uh that you know on life journal it's difficult to find um the active community to find the where things are happening and I feel that's very much true. Like, if you don't know where to look, you won't know where to find uh, challenges, fests, exchanges, just 
plain discussion posts or even just, you know, a newsletter or fanfic recommendations or anything, if you don't know where to look, you won't find it probably, or you will find it and it's dead. <laughs> so, you know, a life journal is very much like you have to know where to go to find life journal alive or at the very least a little bit twitching. <laughs> um, and then we have her experiences with FFNet versus AO3, which I was very interested to read what she had to say, but I want to hear what you have to say first about that. Um, well, I only really was on FanFictionNet during the Harry Potter days. And, uh, I mean, I did publish on FanFictionNet and I didn't have the bad um, experiences that she had where people would just demand more chapters from the author, even though they were already posting a chapter a day. And I didn't, I didn't have that. The comments I received were usually just you know like Wee, new chapter thank you or things along things like that or even just even really you know picking up things from the chapter or the story they wanted to talk about or wanted to mention to me so i didn't have that negative experience unlike woodland goddess one yeah i didn't have it either so she says that basically on ao3 there's a much more welcoming community and people are much more kind of laid back and not demanding when it comes to you know WIPs and stuff like that but um I found uh, the the only fic I've ever written is fic that I've published to FFNet those were the days when I think AO3 wasn't quite as popular as it was and uh, most of the fic was found on LJ and FFNet and um I actually found it a really positive experience um I would get a lot of really detailed feedback of people like quoting passages in the like in the comments and stuff and getting excited. But I will point out that I wrote a lot of angst, a lot of cliffhangers. Uh, so, you know, like the opening of the sequel to my fic was a prologue in which Arthur's holding Merlin's dead body in his hands. So, yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> I wouldn't ask you to read it because 17-year-old me didn't write very well. But um, I'm very proud of the actual plotting. It's just maybe not so much the writing. But yeah, I found I had a quite a positive experience on that website. And I haven't actually written anything since I've been on AO3. All my material is now on AO3. But I've not actually written anything new to post it straight there. So, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't know the difference. But, I mean, do you get quite a lot of good feedback on AO3? I do. I do. Um, I mean, AO3 also makes positive feedback really easy by having the kudos button. Um, and you can't, like, give negative kudos. So either you leave kudos because you liked it or you don't leave anything because you didn't like it. <clears throat> and, I mean, you know, I, su I suppose not giving kudos is the form of negative feedback in a way because but yeah but I wouldn't know some people just don't leave kudos even though they like the story like if you look at the hits to kudos and comments ratio it is disheartening <laughs> sometimes but you know that's just um that's a whole other can of worms we're not going into because it has nothing to do 
with this podcast. But yeah, I don't, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that Woodland Goddess's uh, experience is singular or that it didn't happen. Um, but I personally can't say that there's, uh, you know, a difference for me. But also, I didn't spend that much time on fanfiction.net back in the day because, um, especially with Harry Potter, there were a lot of specialized fanfic archives because, I mean, fanfic.net doesn't do adult stories. Like, you can't have... Well, I mean, yes, you sort of can, but if they find you, they they will delete you. I found a lot of good things on there back in the day. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I feel like people got away with a murder considering it wasn't actually supposed to be allowed. Yeah, but um, there were other archives where you could find, like, again, coming back to being a Snape Hermione shipper, um, or having been one, there was an archive specialized for just that pairing so of course i went there and read most of my fic there and the same when i started shipping uh snape harry which yes i did um there's another like there's an archive just for snary fic and there's an archive just for dreary fic and there's an archive basically for any kind of um major harry potter pairing you can think of and so you usually you tend to go there or you tended to go there and read your stories there because you knew that this archive catered to your specific interest. Well, thank you very much, guys, for your comments. As you can see, we had a lot of fun discussing those. So please feel free to comment on any of the past episodes. If there's anything that you want to add or get excited about with us, we'll mention it you know in the next episode as soon as we receive them so please keep sending them in yes definitely and also alternatively if you want to record a feedback and send it to us we will be happy to receive that as well or email us or you know any way of feedback we are just thirsty for it absolutely (laughs) okay Shall we move on to the man of the hour? Let's talk about Arthur. <laughs> yeah. My baby. Do you want to get stuck in with your facts? <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? All right, so Arthur in the BBC show is the only son of Uther Pendragon, who happens to be the king of Camelot, and Igraine Dubois, who is the dead queen of Camelot. <clears throat> She died in childbirth, which has got to weigh on Arthur, I bet. <laughs> My poor child. Uh, he grew up in Camelot and has been tutored in politics and fighting all his life to prepare him for being king one day. Arthur's probably 20 years old when the show begins, because he comes of age at 21, or at least I assume that's, you know... Is that, Dead like, age. I feel like that's just made up by the fans. I don't know. It might be. It might be a fanon rather it's than canon. bollocks. <laughs> like, there's, we don't know anyone's age in this show. <laughs> that's true. But we assume, we assume people's age. Um, so, yeah. Like, I mean, that's, it's also my headcanon that Arthur is, like, 20-ish at the beginning of, uh, of the show because I mean he has to have had some kind of significant birthday 
that he now is eligible to become crown prince of Camelot. I mean, that's not just... I feel like that wouldn't just be arbitrary. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of stick my historical awe into the conversation, even though I know that doesn't have anything to do with this show, but uh, for men, it would have been in... Well, this is pre-medieval England, but, um, for example, Henry VIII became... Um, when uh, when he was 17, he was legally allowed to become king. Like, he was just the right age to become king when his older brother died, therefore there wasn't a regency. So it would have been 17 for boys, and then Queen Victoria, likewise, was 18 when she became queen, so that was the legal age for girls that they could rule without a regency. So definitely not 21, because <laughs> people only lived till, like, 30 back then, so... <laughs> There was no, but yeah, he definitely doesn't look 17, so. No, he doesn't. I think, yeah, like, I mean, we talked about this in Merlin, where I think Merlin is, like, probably supposed to be, like, 17, 18 when he arrives in Camelot, and I think that Arthur is supposed to be slightly older, so. So, yeah, Bradley himself was 24 when they filmed the first season, so, you know, make of that what you will. And I'm going to link back to the um, work on archive of our own that are already linked during the Merlin episode where this person has some interesting thoughts about when their birthdays are and how old they are in the show. Just for anyone who is interested in that headcanon. Arthur then becomes king of Camelot after Uther dies in early season 4. And Arthur does dislike the way his father rules the kingdom. At least he comes to dislike the way his father rules the kingdom um, over the course of the show and has a lot of opportunities to prove that he is a kinder ruler than than Uther was or is. Even while Arthur is still prince, he already proves himself to be of kinder heart than his father. Doesn't make him lift the ban on magic, though, because that's well and truly bred into him. Yes, and, you know, like I've said, you know, he is very much interested in justice and the happiness of his kingdom, but he consistently puts his his needs and the needs of the people he loves first, and he is traumatized by what's happened to both his parents. And he ain't lifting no ban. <laughs> He's not going to do it because, you know, and, uh, you know, when you see him veering, like, you know, you have those moments where he's like, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it is. it's actually nothing. To, you know, it's kind of I don't know. I feel like it's when it's when it's benefiting him kind of thing. So when Morgoes is helping him to find his mother, he's like, oh, maybe it's not that bad. And then when he might be able to use magic to save his father's life or maybe it's not that bad, you know. He's not stupid. He knows that not every sorcerer is evil. So it's I don't think it's anything to do with that. I think he just is in denial that actually he's all right using it when it's kind of for his own gain, which people don't want me to say. But it's true. <laughs> it's the truth. It The facts are in the show, guys. Like, sorry. It also doesn't help that apart from those few occasions where Arthur uses magic for his own gain, the other times he is confronted with magic, it's just negative stuff. Like, 
all these magical assassins and creatures trying to kill him. I mean, honestly, if someone was trying to kill me a specific way, you know, or a specific group of people tried to kill me over and over, I would hold a grudge as well and probably think, well, maybe my father has a point. <laughs> so, you know, that's just, that's the problem that a lot of the magical, uh, like, like, we only see or Arthur only sees the negative representations of what magic can be used for rather than the good ones. And yeah, that's just, that's tragic. It's... Uh. <laughs> Although I will say the only part of that that breaks that mold is, um, which is actually, I would say, out of character for Arthur in a way, is in, I think it's The Kindness of Strangers, is it? 511 the one with Mordred and his girlfriend I think that's the one and um it's you know he says to you know she tries to kill him but I think there's I haven't rewatched it in a long time I'll be honest but he says something like you know listen you're on trial to be executed not because you've got magic but because you tried to assassinate me and it's like it, that's kind of the only time where he's kind of like I don't care that you've got magic I care that you tried to kill me so it's interesting because I would actually say that we've had nothing at all building up to that moment where he decides all of a sudden that actually that doesn't matter too much to me. Well, I don't know, like, you know, especially since, you know, Morgana has, is his sworn enemy and she used magic to tamper with his wife's mind. So yeah, it's a bit, a little bit strange, but I would, yeah, I feel like the writers kind of, the magic storyline was so prevalent, I feel, like in seasons one and two, mostly in seasons one and two. And after seasons one and two, I just feel like the whole magic secret thing really kind of wasn't as important. I'm maybe, I don't know if you get the same feeling, like Arthur and, and the whole magic thing kind of became less and less important. I think after Uther died, they didn't really know what to do with it because, well, Uther was the one that hated magic. So now what do we do with Arthur? <laughs> like, there's nothing that we can do. Because Arthur's not really ever had a stance either way. Like you said, he's just kind of been swayed based off of the evil people he's met versus the people that tried to help him and save his parents' life and stuff. But yeah, it's a little bit inconsistent there. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. That's the the writers. Guys. I'm just. I have so much beef with the writers, honestly. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about. Uh, let's let's keep going <laughs> before we get sucked into the. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, it's just. I always have to bring out like the cold hard facts. About no, I mean that's that you... that's that's all right. I'm just you know, the writers fucked up a lot, <clears throat> in my opinion. So. So Arthur's abilities. He's well a skilled fighter with all kinds of weapons, which we learn literally in the first episode and then most of the episodes in season one like he's constantly using some kind of weapon some doing some kind of combat and always winning that's the point you know i've been trained to kill since birth all that stuff and he is presumably i mean we don't really have any hard facts um that prove this theory but i would assume it for um you know, the sole heir of a king that he was trained in uh, or tutored in history and politics to some degree. 
to learn about how a kingdom is run. But I don't, but I feel like with the whole, like, I don't know, I, especially in moments like, so in the moment of truth, you've got that scene where, um, Huneth comes and, you know, begs for Uther to save her village and stuff. And he's like, look, I'm really sorry, but I can't. And Arthur's just like, why not? And he's like, you know, you know, for a very good reason. It, it's a border kingdom, which we have just had a peace treaty with. And if we march in there, it'll be an act of war and I'll be sacrificing thousands of lives. I can't do that. And um, and Arthur's like, bullshit, I'm going to go anyway. <laughs> so I feel like diplomacy isn't really his strong suit. I don't know. I mean, like, that I, might that might well be true. That doesn't mean he hasn't been tutored in it. Yeah. He's just not good at it. He should have studied harder, shouldn't he? <laughs> I mean, you know, that actually fits your character's characterization where he's like, well, but these people are important to me, in this case, specifically Merlin and Merlin's family. You know, these people are important to me. This is something I can help with. What do I care about the rest? Exactly. Which is why I love him. <laughs> because he's just like, like uh, yeah, I'm going to do what I want. Arthur's personality traits. Yeah, so I wrote down that he's, especially in the early seasons, he's spoiled because, you know, no one's ever challenged him since he's the prince. He's also severely emotionally constipated, in my opinion. I mean, how can you not be with a father who, whose life motto is uh, conceal, don't feel? And he's also, despite... Definitely. <laughs> right? And despite all of this, he still managed to grow up to uh, become a fair, mostly fair, loyal, good-hearted, and kind person, despite all of that. He definitely evolves over the course of the episodes, mostly thanks to Merlin's influence, but also thanks to Morgana and Gwen continuously standing up to him and telling him that he's a prat. Uh, then Arthur learns that many things that his father thinks or does aren't necessarily true or good or just, and that peasants are of equal value as knights or noblemen, and that not all magic is evil. What do you know? <laughs> right. There you go. Um, yeah, so let's talk a bit about kind of his inability to trust his gut and like make decisions based on his gut because that's what we've got here as well where you know the main thing I kind of find fascinating about him is that he constantly doubts his own decisions and he consistently has to ask Gwen and Merlin and you know Morgana kind of has to kick him in the butt and um yeah he just you rarely see him kind of make a decision the first time and stick to it and you know kind of do it without any kind of doubt um i mean there are a handful of merlin and arthur scenes where merlin has to kind of you know give him the speech the speech about you know how he's going to be a great king and all the rest of it and um i just find that really really interesting because i mean there isn't a lot of material concerning kind of arthur's behavior and like classic Arthurian literature because the the especially the poems they're more focused on the knights but um he you know he's seen as this great ruler and you know kind of it's interesting that in the show maybe they didn't do it on purpose but yeah they kind of 
he really finds it difficult to trust himself, which I wonder where that kind of comes from. I wonder if maybe you've got a theory. <laughs> I mean, my my theory is that Uther is a controlling father who thinks he knows better and he knows best. Father knows best. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and who would criticize Arthur every chance he got because he wants Arthur to be perfect and he can't just praise Arthur. I'm thinking of um, the episode that's, I think, season two with um, Gilly with that tournament in which Uther uh, wins. Season three. Is that season, season three? three season three, episode 11. Okay. Yeah, yeah the, the tournament where Arthur, in the end, um, fudges it so Uther would win. And that's, like, Uther gives him a compliment later while while they're eating together. Yeah. And and you can see by the surprise and shock on Arthur's face that Arthur is not used to his father telling him that he has done well. And I just, it breaks my heart so much. So, you know, how would Arthur learn to to trust his gut, to, to, to that he has made the right decision? And also... Um, looking at the entire canon of Merlin, um, I'm thinking of season four, the whole thing with Queen Ennis, for example. Um, when Arthur makes a decision and like even doesn't listen to other people and makes a decision or sticks with the decision he's he made, takes Camelot to war. <laughs> It's not to be fair, to be fair, in that episode he was influenced by Agravain as well. Yeah, so is, that yeah, it's it's just so interesting how much he relies on other people because yeah, you're right, he didn't have that influence from his dad. And um I'm actually thinking as well, like on that note where you were talking about the scene where he's so surprised. Um I, I actually think that a really beautiful scene between them is an Excalibur, you know, the one at the end where like he just like stands there and he has that face and he's just like oh i just i just thought that i was a great disappointment to you and then uther's just like oh man i really fucked up here didn't i and he and like he gives him that speech where he's like you mean more to me than this entire kingdom and certainly more than my own life and i'm just like oh and and like where he says you are my son and i wouldn't wish for another i'm just like oh uther why do you have to be so damaged why couldn't you guys have like a, a good relationship because the thing is uther literally worships the ground arthur walks on and i don't know why he finds it so difficult to show him that because obviously yeah that's why arthur finds it hard to believe in himself or show emotion himself like like i said arthur doesn't know how to express his feelings and he doesn't like Arthur too often doesn't let himself feel things he doesn't allow himself to feel things because he thinks having feelings makes him weak <laughs> and I'm just my poor child <laughs> I don't know though because I feel like that is also so inconsistent because he he acts that way with with some people like like he'll have those moments occasionally like he'll have them with Merlin and then like I said that scene with Uther and Excalibur as soon as Uther's like opened up to him he's just kind of like um I I heard you fought well today you know and he like has that kind of moment but he can 
like he consistently is kind of the one that is saying to Merlin, like, oh, like, you know, I want to follow my heart, like, especially with like Gwen and Morgana, you know, he says, I'd sacrifice my place on the throne for her to get better, like, you know, in the crystal cave, or he says he'll sacrifice his place on the throne to be with Gwen. And it's like, those are very emotional behaviors, and he's not ashamed of them at all. And he does them often in public. So I just want, you know, I'm just very curious as to, maybe it's just a guy thing like maybe he can you know kind of and if you're looking at it from you know this show isn't really concerned with actual historical social behavior it actually has a very modern social behavior put into a historical background they might as well just be playing dress up you know the way they talk to each other and interact but you know if you look at it if you want to look at it from like a historical point of view i guess it makes sense you know men you know would have shown more affection towards women because that's what would have been expected of them. You know, that women are more sensitive and they want to be treated like this and courtly love and all the rest of it. Whereas with guys, it was more, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of (laughs) no homo, homo, you know, it's like, so that's basically Arthur's relationship with every guy in this show. Like, oh i just (laughs) so in denial um but yeah just emotions are something that i find arthur really inconsistent on and truthfully i don't think it's got anything to do with him as a character i think it's to do with the fact that the writers were like oh it would be really cool if he and merlin like if he treated merlin like shit always and then it would look really bad and then also like it would but then but yeah then it looks weird because he's really nice to everybody else including a lot of the knights but he has those moments with merlin where he genuinely will say nice things like he does say really nice things to him sometimes and it's just like i don't understand what yeah he's a his brain is a bag of cats you know it's like i really don't understand where he comes from a lot of the time but the emotion thing is something I think we both agree is very, very difficult to kind of pinpoint why he behaves the way he does with some people. And then with Merlin, it's just um, not good. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I suppose from a shipper's point of view, you can interpret this as, um, you know, pulling pigtails, which I hate as a trope in general, but <laughs> Uh, I suppose this is where it might come from, um, even if you don't ship it romantically, but you can be like, well, I'm the crown prince of Camelot, or later, I'm the king of Camelot, I can't be seen buying drinks for my servant, which just fits in here. But, you know, he, I, he can't be seen um, showing any kind of affection or friendship to his male servant like it would be different if Merlin were a knight then he could show some you know some degree of affection because it would be expected of Arthur to be loyal to a fellow knight for example Um, and like you said he is free to show affection for women because that's what women quote unquote um, you know expect like women expect to be treated with affection by men naturally uh, so Arthur is allowed to show affection for Morgana or for Gwen and to some degree he's allowed to show affection for his father 
because it's his father. Yeah, so maybe it's actually a class thing, and maybe that's actually worth mentioning here because class is kind of one of the accidental sub-themes of this show. Um, I say accidental because this show has no theme. <laughs> it's just... It, it, it's just... I love it, but it's such horse shit. Like, I really love it. Please don't think I don't. Like, it was my life for five years, but God, did they write it high? I don't know. Um, but yeah, so class, you know, is kind of a thing, you know, that only noblemen can become knights, and Gwen suffers with that later on in the show. And, you know, where does Arthur fit into that s structure? Because on the one hand, He's very happy to vouch for not noblemen to become knights and he believes in equality and all the rest of it. And he, why does it matter that Guinevere is a servant, you know, and all this kind of stuff? Why is Merlin the exception again? <laughs> why is Merlin the exception again? And really, if I sat down with the writers and asked them, they would probably tell me, well, he's threatened by his friendship emotions towards Merlin. And that's when I kind of sit there and go, bullshit, <laughs> because the only way you're that threatened by your emotions towards someone is if you're actually in love with them, because he has friendships with other people and very strong feelings for people in his family that don't cause him to behave like that. And he constantly uses the class card on Merlin, although I will say I would argue that as we go forward in the show, he uses the king thing almost as like it's more of a banter thing as opposed to legitimately him being like no you're my servant you don't matter like there's an episode um i think it's um oh god um uh, i can't remember the name of it now but it's season four episode 10 where he falls asleep in the bowl of soup and um he like wakes up and man's like why why were you sleeping on the table and he just goes I am the king of Camelot. I do not have to answer to the likes of you. And it's more kind of like, it's just used as like a get out card. It's like his kind of gold star on Mario Kart where he can just get away with anything he wants to say in front of Merlin. Because we know by that point that, you know, he would do anything for Merlin and Merlin is his equal in in a lot of ways. And, you know, he would go to him with anything and trust him with everything in his life so i feel like then it's more of like a oh i'm gonna say it to get out of having to explain myself kind of thing but at the beginning it's definitely like a chip on his shoulder like i'm better than you what do you think no i think you're right and i think this is it illustrates just how their relationship changes over the course of the seasons and how much this is in part due to how arthur changes through Merlin's influence, because I can't imagine him being this way with anyone else, any other servant or any other character except maybe Morgana. Like, he, he would have been this sassy or like this with Morgana, and he already was like this with Morgana in the beginning, and I think this shows how comfortable he is with Merlin, because he used to be this comfortable with Morgana that he could say things like that to her and know that she wouldn't take him seriously and now he knows he can say things like that to Merlin and Merlin won't actually be offended or take him seriously when he says something like this so it's really sweet <laughs> it is it is what I also want to say is that like and this is um 
also Arthur's um, progress over the seasons. Like, he matures over the seasons. You can see him growing from a spoiled um, man-child um, to into a person who very much recognizes that he has... Like, he already knew he had responsibilities, but over the years he realizes more and more what these responsibilities actually mean. For him, like, he always had an abstract idea of what his responsibilities as king or as crown prince would be. But over the course of the show, he actually learns what that means. And that forces him to grow up and and take on these responsibilities and to act not just like a childish, arrogant prick, but to actually act like a king who has to consider more than his own happiness. And I think that despite all of this, he never quite loses his idealism. Opposed to Merlin, in my opinion, who also grows up, who also has to grow up, because he realizes the world isn't sunshine and rainbows. And he becomes um, a character with, you know, a much bigger burden and and like um just i don't want to say darker character because i have my issues with associating bad things with darkness but um he just he has a burden that he has to bear and it weighs on him and it makes him an unhappier character so like i think that's an interesting contrast that author sort of flourishes over the course of the seasons while Merlin changes into a person who's nothing like the boy he used to be in the beginning. It's interesting that you say that, though, because the comparisons between the two of them, I find up until Arthur actually becomes king, we've had this um, dual storyline going on with the trappings of destiny. That's basically like the ongoing theme of this entire show. Merlin is trapped by destiny to become this great sorcerer and to save Arthur's life. And Arthur's big destiny is to become king. And the difference is, is that obviously Merlin knows that Arthur is destined to become the greatest king ever. And he is more aware of both of their destinies. Whereas Arthur is only aware of the one that he's aware of through his birth, through the fact that he will one day become king. And He's constantly got those scenes where he's like, you have no idea how it is to have a destiny you can't escape from. I feel trapped. People expect so much of me. And again, by the end, it, it, it just kind of goes. Once he becomes king, he doesn't really have those moments. I mean, he's got those moments maybe in early season four, like with the whole thing with Queen Annis and the execution storyline and stuff. But um, I feel like those missing three years, was it three years between four and five? season four and five yeah i feel like those were really pivotal for us and we didn't see them and it sucks because he does yeah he's much more kind of happy in his responsibilities he has whereas even in season three he's you know saying to gwen i would run away and become a farmer like what <laughs> like you know unless that's just written you know to make the scene more romantic but i think it's very consistent with his character it's kind of like he doesn't really want to be king. He doesn't really want this. He, he, like, he didn't ask for it. He he was born into it, and he doesn't really want it. And I think that's so 
interesting, like you said, that they both are trapped by this destiny and one goes one direction and one goes another. But Arthur kind of uses it and just accepts it and lives with it. And Merlin doesn't. But they both definitely feel trapped. Like, that's definitely true. I wonder if Arthur's entrapment, though, comes from the expectations from his father. And that's why when Uther's dead and, like, he's not around, he doesn't feel it as badly. Because we see those moments when his ghost comes back. Arthur starts to kind of regress to being like, oh, like, I'm like, I'm unsure, I'm unsure, you know, all of a sudden. Um, So maybe. Maybe that's what it is, that he's just kind of like feels trapped by expectation. I think you, you're you right about him being insecure once Uther's ghost comes back or in that episode. Uh, because Arthur has been relative, relatively sure about the things he's been doing. And then he gets the chance to see his father again. And he wants his father's approval because this is all he's ever wanted in life. Like, this was his ambition as a boy and as a young man. And, of course, he wants Uther to tell him, Well done, son. I'm proud of what you did um, as king. And then Arthur doesn't get that. <laughs> and and that just... Uh, and Because he was never going to get it. and But Arthur didn't realize that. Arthur was never going to have his father's approval for the way he runs the kingdom, for the way um, he chose, like for the queen he chose, and so on. He was never going to have Uther's acceptance of any of that. But Arthur was disillusioned, and he was so confident and so happy with his own choices, with the way the kingdom is running and flourishing, that he thought, well, surely my father would accept that and would see that and be happy with that. But he didn't realize what a bigot his father actually was, that many things that his father claimed were were important, that his people were happy and so on, actually didn't matter that much to him. What mattered much more to him was like maintaining the status quo, maintaining old traditions and maintaining um, a specific image. So, um, because, but I mean, but again, it's interesting that it comes back to class because he, his, his like biggest things are that you've let peasants become noblemen, you've married a peasant. And the thing is, though, is like, uh, like, you know, it, it kind of sucks. And this has nothing to do with shipping. I agree with him. Like, you know, unfortunately, building a kingdom is more, is more than about whether or not you're happy. And it's much more about, you know, building and fostering relationships between kingdoms which are very volatile and you know wars can erupt at any second and he he shouldn't have married Gwen and you know if Merlin was in a position where he was female (laughs) I would have said the same thing you know I feel like it's just um unfortunately that's not the path he's on he's on you know he unfortunately is born whether he likes it or not into a position where has many responsibilities and he has a duty of care to everyone that is under him and he needs to protect that and he's not going to protect that by marrying someone who can bring nothing to the kingdom apart from you know a heart full of love and hope which doesn't really do much in the real world unfortunately and I feel like in those moments I find him very naive and I do definitely agree with Uther that like you know Maybe not so much like the knights, even though obviously you still need that 
connection because they are essentially soldiers, you know, and soldiers, you know, I don't, I don't think it much matters with that, but you know, the whole, you know, marriage is, you know, for, for someone like him is nothing to do with love. It's about security and it's, and that's unfortunately his life, but he decided to not do that <laughs> and to do what he wanted, which again is a very interesting trait of his. But in this case, I'm kind of like, Oh, Arthur, you really, you know, kind of messed up there. And unfortunately, like, it's a shame that he can't see his father's point that, you know, it's like, oh, I can't marry someone I don't love. Babe, that's your job. <laughs> your job is literally, your job is literally to marry and provide babies so that your babies can then protect the kingdom. That is all you are. <laughs> and it's, and it's sad, you know, but that's the, that's the case. He and Merlin are both machines. Merlin's a machine, you know, of, you know his magic in a sense to protect arthur and arthur is a machine of you know the society he's born into that you know being a king he doesn't have his own life you know he lives for everybody else it's very sad but it's very true unfortunately i don't necessarily agree but i can voice my disagreement right now like i i can put it into words so i'll just <laughs> i'll just leave it at this point and and uh i think we can move on i feel bad now that like you haven't been able to give me a rebuttal <laughs> no <laughs> no it's all right i mean it's something because i haven't thought about this uh before and i i would time i would need time to think about this oh fair enough i i mean i used to think about it a lot because i shipped him with a lot of the like marriage proposal people that were like put into the seasons because i was like you got on so well with her like you could get married <laughs> like you wouldn't not get on <laughs> like it's not like that you know so but yeah and also like i have like a i i, I really like the arranged marriage au trope like i love that and b like you know again i like history so i'm like it's not all about you it's not all about you <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, let's okay. Let's let's move on then. What have we got next to discuss? Yes, um, I um, wrote down a few things about Arthur in the legends. So of course he's still born to Uther and Igraine. He was of course married to Lady Guinevere, who in the legends is a noblewoman. And uh, as a son, uh, as a son, as a as a boy. He was taken to Sir Ector and his son Sir Kay to be tortured. Uh, sorry, Tudored. <laughs> My okay. God, what, what is this turning into? <laughs> I mean, you know, torture, tutoring. You could look at it both ways. This is, of course, the uh, the version that the Disney movie picks up on um, Arthur as a boy, with um, being Sir Kay's. Uh, what's it called? Yeah. So, <clears throat> then he became king after uh, pulling Excalibur from the stone or receiving it. Like, it depends on the source. So he was either given the sword by the Lady of the Lake or he pulled it from the stone. It's uh, It varies. And Morgan Le Fay has always been his greatest enemy. Then again, there are also different versions that talk about who Morgan was in this story. Like, um, in thinking of the Mists of Avalon, she's his sister, and they are tricked into sleeping together, 
And from that union, Mordred was born, who was then raised by their aunt, Morgos, to kill, or to hate and kill Arthur. But Arthur and Morgana were actually always close. <clears throat> like they loved each other as siblings, not as lovers, but as siblings. And uh, they were close. Uh, it was a close relationship, nevertheless. And uh, so that's different. But usually in the legends, Morgan Le Fay is Arthur's enemy. And Mordred always kills him. It's it's in the stories. And yeah, like I said, Mordred's uh, relationship with Arthur varies. Sometimes he's his nephew or his son. Always depends on whom you ask. Yeah. And also, like I said before, there's a lot of, like, it, like especially in the classical text. So I took, like, a module at university focusing on, like, Arthurian romances and stuff. And a lot of them will focus on the knights. You've got Percival's romance and Lancelot's romance and Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And there's not a lot of focus in those poems about Arthur. And we, I think somebody asked my my professor about it and he was like well the thing about Arthur and the legends and in these and in these literary texts is you know he's a guy that's you know kind of burdened by destiny (laughs) he's just like you know kind of he's just got this burden on his shoulders and he feels burdened by it all the time and it's terrible and everything's bad so he sends his knights on all these quests which then get written about um because he's just sitting at home kind of mourning his destiny (laughs) which is the way my professor put it. And I I just think there's something really wonderful about that image. <laughs> like just Arthur's sitting, feeling sorry for himself while other people do things for him. It's really wonderful. I mean, isn't that, isn't that just the plot of the show? <laughs> I mean, he's a bit more of a active character. That's true. That's true. <laughs> legends. He's not a very interesting character in the legends at all i mean in in more of the modern interpretations like the mists of avalon which i love and everybody should read it it's a monster but you should definitely read it if you like the show and want more like merlin goodness arthur and lancelot are totally in love by the way thanks they really are (laughs) um so yeah shall we kind of talk about him in the fandom separate from yeah separate from the show Arthur and Fanworks. I mean, you know, either you have canon AUs in which, obviously, he is himself. So this is more about modern AUs, like jobs that he commonly has in modern AUs based on who he is as a character in canon AUs. So you usually find him as a CEO or businessman of some kind, usually in the family. Yeah, I mean, he's usually the boss. Let's be real. I'm trying to think of like fics that I've read where he's something other than that kind of thing. Like it's so rare. Like I can't think of like hardly any. It's or he's I mean it makes sense. Real. It does make sense to cast him in that role. And like I think the only times when he isn't the boss or the boss's son or you know something of uh like some something like that. Um his job isn't mentioned at all or he's something entirely different like a policeman which then again is um you know comes back to him being a knight so like he's usually a policeman 
or sometimes a spy for MI5 or MI6. Uh, or or he's an actual royal, like royal yeah. modern AU. Yes, exactly, yeah. royal modern AU. Or he's the boss or the boss's son of some kind of company, family company, I should say, the family business. Thick that I've kind of that like is in the front of my mind that I can think of that doesn't really have any of that is the Pendragon Guide to How Not to Date, where he's just a student. Yeah, I mean that's the. That that's the other extreme when he is still a student, but even then he's usually a student for uh, economy or politics or something to go into business into business <laughs> with his father. Politics is another thing, which is sort of with the royal modern AU. Sometimes he's some kind of politician. So yeah, he's usually rich and posh because naturally that's that's what he is, and he is rarely equal to Merlin in social status and class. It all comes back to class. Like it does in the show. Like it, it does in the show. You see? Accidental, <laughs> accidental themes everywhere. <laughs> so what kind of tropes do we see for him? We've got, you know, living up to his father's expectations is always there. Like, I don't think there's a single, you know, and sometimes it, it's more of a plot point and sometimes it's less of a plot point. But yeah, it's pretty much always there. Yeah. And it always, I mean... Naturally, it always plays out one of two way, ways. Either it works out and there's redemption for Uther, or it doesn't work out and then Arthur cuts Uther out of his life, or takes some kind of stand against... Or Uther has already died, and Mer, uh, Arthur um, retroactively rejects his father's teachings or something like that. Well, we get... I mean, we see him... You know, we have the same kind of thing as we have in the show with him kind of shedding his prejudices but i feel like i don't know if maybe you agree with that in modern au i don't find it's as like people don't seem to latch onto that as much as the show has because like the show is all about arthur becoming a better person i've read tons of au's where he's already quite decent you know the one that again sticks in my mind is um uh every story is a love story like he's fine <laughs> um he's just a decent guy like and i think a lot of the reasons why he's a bit of a a twat in like modern au is just because he's rich and privileged it's got nothing to do with him being a bad, bad person it's just because he doesn't know any better i mean that's the same in the show i mean he's not a bad person because he's a bad person he's just a bad person because he doesn't know better yeah true um yeah and so deep in the closet he's found narnia back there <laughs> yeah here comes my favorite part love interests in the show he has well <laughs> not merlin <laughs> in, the, in the show he has actually he only has gwen all the other love interests were forced on him mythian well mythian sort of okay mythian but yeah, but even Mythian was more like I need a wife rather than Morgana. Don't forget Momo. He was genuinely interested in Morgana for the okay. whole of season one. True, true. So we have Morgana. We have Morgana. We have Gwen. We have Mythian does count uh, because he was interested her for in her for whatever reason. Um, sort of also Elena in that respect because he was kind of trying to like her and I mean he does like her just not like that so then he has then there was Vivian who was forced on him and Sophia who forced herself on him mm -hmm. so these are his there's 
anybody else, but I don't think that there is, canonically speaking. No, I think that's that's all of them. I mean, you know, with the with the slash goggles on, um, there would be more. There would definitely be Merlin and Lancelot, um, but they are not confirmed canon love interests for Arthur, unfortunately. So, no, sad, sad world. I'll give the listeners five seconds to to take a guess which pairings are the five most popular author pairings on AO3 as of November the 21st, 2017, which was um, about two weeks ago. Okay, they are, of course, Merlin slash Arthur. Uh, which are 12,819 works. And if you think back to our Merlin episodes a couple of weeks ago and uh, compare the numbers, 200 more works have been posted since I last checked the Merlin author tag on AO3. Yes. So I checked uh, the tag last on the 1st of October and then I checked it again on the 21st of November. And in that... In those six weeks, roughly seven weeks maybe, um, the amount of works has increased by 200. Yeah. Then we have a dramatic drop down to 2,146 works for Gwen and Arthur. And then another dramatic drop down to 228 for Morgana and Arthur. That's the third most popular pairing with Arthur. And then it's 157 for Gwen slash Arthur slash Merlin. And 153 for Gwen slash Arthur. Which surprises me, honestly. I would not have expected Gwen slash Arthur to be that high up. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I would have thought that the next one, um, the, the sixth one, Gwen slash Arthur slash Merlin, would be the fifth like, would be higher up than Gwen slash Arthur. Because I don't really see Gwen slash Arthur other than a sort of rivalry ship. Because that's mm. what's going on there in the show. Maybe. I think it's coming from the whole, like, he, you know, came back and, you know, tried to save Arthur's life in the melee and the whole thing of, like, oh, maybe that one's worth dying for then, yeah. you know. And, and... I mean, they both agree that Merlin is awesome, so... That's something to bond over, I guess. <laughs> it's probably more of like an OT3 thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it would be. For me, it would be. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, then there's and like then... a plethora of other... Oh, uh, there are so many other ships. I mean... There... And, I mean, again, I probably haven't even caught them all because at a certain point you have to start looking for author slash insert character to find if there's any sort of fake for it because AO3 doesn't just give you a complete list of all the pairings that this character is involved in. You only get like the top 10 or something when you start typing uh, a name in the relationship field in the advanced search. So, you know, when I go with author Pendragon slash and then I type a letter or something, I can check how many characters with that first letter 
but even that doesn't always work. So, you know, you have to start looking for specific pairings to know how much fig for there for for that pairing there is. Um, nevertheless, I managed to find about two dozen uh, pairings, and there are quite quite a few combinations out there, um, and several crossover versions as well. I mean, there's also, of course, um, author slash Uther, because you gotta have some incest uh, in God. there. Yeah. There are 30, <laughs> 39 stories, author slash Uther. Um, there are crossovers like author slash Harry Potter, like the character Harry Potter. There are four whole stories with that pairing. Um, there are two stories that are self-cessed. For anyone who doesn't know what self-cessed is, it's author slash author. I do love, love those stories, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say I just love it when one of them is like older and goes back in time and finds the younger version of themselves. I see, yeah. I see, I see. And then, of course, there's one that is Gaia slash Uther slash author. So, you know, gotta have that. Absolutely. Where would you be in fandom if not for extremely questionable ship choices, which we all feel guilty about after we read them? <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. Okay. Let's now that we've talked about pairings, let's have some let's have some wrecks. I want to start with one recommendation from Nicole. If you all cast your minds back to the beginning of this episode, Nicole is the one who left us a very lovely comment on one of our episodes. And Nicole recommends Tulips Are Better, Dragons Are Best, written by Sweetie Jelly, with art by Nejo Soleil. Uh, it's rated explicit, it's a murder story, and it is roughly 58,500 words long. The summary reads as follows. Author goes on The Bachelor as the first bi candidate. Merlin is one of the candidates, except Merlin already broke up with Arthur years ago when Arthur refused to come out, and instead kept Merlin as his dirty little secret. Wow. I've read this story, I've read it twice by now. There's lots of pining and grand gestures, and Arthur not so secretly picking Merlin as his favorite the entire time. <laughs> it's it's really cute, and, and the art is absolutely beautiful. I... I second that recommendation. Thank you, Nicole, for for writing in. That is a great story. And I, since it's almost Christmas when this episode airs, have two Christmassy recommendations, which both happen to be also available as Podfic. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is called As Long As We Have We which, yes, is a quote from the song from the Grinch movie, the Grinch cartoon. Uh, it's a murder story because naturally it has to be coming from me. It's rated teen, it's written by Lady Ragnall, and it's roughly 17,500 words long. Uh, the pot fig is read by Akiko Tree, and the summary reads, Morgana's away for the holidays, and Arthur would have to spend Christmas by himself. And then he ends up inviting every single person he meets that's also spending Christmas alone to his house. It's a really cute story with Merlin as a bookseller, and Arthur his regular customer, and uh, yeah, Arthur, like it says in the summary, 
deciding to invite friends over for Christmas and then it sort of snowballs from there because then his friends start inviting other friends and then as he gets to know Merlin, he also invites Merlin and all his friends. <laughs> and it's just really cute. Aww. Yeah, it's a bit like found family sort of story. It's really adorable. Definitely, definitely check out the podfic. I think the podfic is about two hours long. The second one is All I Want for Christmas is You. Also a Martha story with some background Gwen slash Elena. It's explicit. It was written by Dream Dust Mama. And the podfic was read by Striped Bowties, who is one of my favorite podfickers. The story is roughly 18,500 words long. I think the podfic is somewhere around two and a half hours. The summary is Uther orders a secret Santa exchange at work. An author is worried about his sanity. He also draws Merlin's name and is now worried that his gift will either be too meaningless or too meaningful. It is fun and I love the podfic. I've listened to it a couple of times already. Not yet this holiday season, but uh, I will soon. And it's a really cute uh, story with, you know, pining and fluffy humor and all kinds of shenanigans and adorableness and just, ah, just go and read it or listen to the podfic. I promise you it is worth it. Yeah, this one, this, like, I just heard the word Secret Santa. I was like, yeah, I have definitely read this one before. And it's, I'm not sure I've listened to it, though. Maybe I have, but I'll have to see if I have. I'll definitely be listening to that this this holiday season. I second that rec, for sure. Excellent. Excellent. So what are your recs? So mine are more theme-specific to this episode. No Christmas fluff, I'm afraid. Um, It's all Arthur-related. So I've got three vid recs and one podfic rec for you, but I shall be brief. Um, my vid recs, uh, two are from the YouTuber or, or the vidder I like you 31 x But um, the first one is called For Camelot, and it was made for a vidding competition. And the theme, I believe, was character. So you just had to show a character and their journey and just what, you know, kind of they meant for you. And it's an instrumental. It's pretty short, and it's basically just focusing on Arthur the character the kind of the aspects of his character that are to do with love and kind of the sacrifices he makes for his kingdom and actually all the stuff we haven't covered today (laughs) (laughs) Um, oops oh man we could have (laughs) been talking about Arthur for like three more hours just like we could have been talking um, about Merlin for three more hours watch that video it's really really wonderful and uh, she manages to put a lot of emotion into a really short space of time Um, the second one is also by her and it's called um, I found my place to go and it is a lyrical one and it's just about his journey and the people that have kind of helped him get to where he is including Merlin and Gwen and the vidder is an Arwen shipper so there's a lot of Gwen in her videos but it's wonderful the third vid wreck is uh, by someone called Lona Cheerleader and it's called Trapped in God's Program and this one's a lot more angsty it's a lot more to do with again him being trapped by destiny and the kind of anger he has inside of him rather than the good things about him and it's really good it four minutes and it's just really really good you rarely see videos like this about him which i really appreciate and uh yeah all the three of those are wonderful and um the podfic rec 
that I'm going to give is uh, Of Greatness by Lunchy. And um, Momo, I know that you were really excited when I told you that I was going to wreck this one because it's so rare that you kind of get pod fix or just fix in general that are only character focused and yet they're really interesting. This one's very short. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure I could sit through a fic or a pod fic that would be like a full length story with no relationship happening at all. And it, it's literally really short i will not remember how long but it's very short and it's read by lunchy and it's wonderful and it's basically about arthur when he's a young boy i think he's growing up throughout the fic so it's at different ages and it's all about the relationship he has with the knights none of the knights that are in this fic are actually the ones we see in the show they're all, all ocs but um they're wonderful and yes there is a tiny bit of like Mirtha like easter eggness right towards the end so if you're a Mirtha shipper you have that to look forward to it's heartbreaking but it's very Arthur and it's wonderfully read so go check it out definitely I second that it's a great story I was looking for it when I was putting together the wrecks for this uh, episode and then you said you were going to wreck it and I was like yes excellent I can wreck other things <laughs> it's so good it's like like I said it's perfect because it's the only one that I can kind of think of that's only based on him i mean you do have six that are kind of in his pov a bit more so like I, the fic i mentioned earlier which i'm sure will be linked the pendragon guide to how not to date is about him learning you know how to date properly and you know merlin's involved and it's really really good and you know you have other ones like that but um you know this one is specifically just about him and it's 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 a real gem like it's a real and you don't find them out and so yeah you definitely it's really short go listen to it guys wow that has been some episode for us and <laughs> for everyone listening <laughs> absolutely but i but you know these character ones are really like you know really good to get stuck into and um if there's stuff we've missed and i'm sure there's stuff we've missed like we just laughed about it now we missed a lot of the better kind of <laughs> traits of Arthur. <laughs> yeah, we, we just of, criticize uh, him the whole time. <laughs> um, please, please write in and tell us like what he means to you as a character and what you kind of see in him because I have a very specific, you know, I see a lot of stuff about him in fandom uh, and I have very opposite kind of opinions on who I think he is as a person. Not a bad person, just very different to the like lover of all that's good and just in the world that people <laughs> kind of see him as so if that's how you feel please tell us and tell us why and give us like some evidence that'll be really fun to read out next time so definitely definitely so yeah leave comments on our website or email us at melissen at gmail.com or reblog our post on tumblr you have many many ways of contacting us and in the new year we will finally get this AO3 account up so you can leave us comments and or kudos there as well. Well, this has been Merlison. I have been Momotastic. And I'm Miss Snowfox. And next time we'll be having another episode review, this time The Mark of Nimue, to which we are all looking forward to. Indeed we are. Right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.